Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. Hope you are doing well today, staying dry out there. Man, it was such a nice day yesterday and Friday, and then like, man, rain, and you guys are here. So thank you for being here, braving the, the rain and, and coming this morning. I do appreciate it. Uh, it is good to be with you, uh, church. Before we get started, I just want to remind a couple of announcements before we get going here. One, uh, our women's Bible study is going to be starting at the end of this month on Wednesday nights. Uh, it's going to meet for 10 weeks, walking through the books of First, Second, and Third John. It'll be led and hosted by my wife, Kendra, but Here's the thing, we need to know if you are planning on attending. If you are interested and have not yet signed up, this is your last week to register because I need some time to order the workbooks and and make sure they come in in enough time to get those to you for the start of this study. So uh, if you haven't yet signed up and you're interested, please go ahead, uh, sign up today. Uh, You can, it's not up there, but if it was, it would say you can sign up at hanescreek.com slash abide, hanescreek.com slash abide abide. You can sign up, um, or if you'd want to let me know before you leave today, you can let me know, and I'll make sure to get you signed up and on that list. And then also, we have scheduled our next Haynes Creek uh, discover Haynes Creek class. So this is a class, uh, it's essentially our membership class, but it's really for anybody who's looking to learn more about who we are as a church. So in this class, I mean, we will give you more information than you could probably get within like a year of Sundays. Uh, we just throw a ton at you. We try to give you as much information as possible to help you prayerfully consider and decide, is this the church for you and your family? So if you are new and looking to learn more, this class is perfect. If you've been here for a little while and you're like, man, this is the church for me. Uh, how do I plug in more, what does membership look like? We'll go over all of that in this class. So if you are anywhere in between that too, this this class is perfect. We would love for you to attend. That'll be at the end of this month. So Sunday, February 25th, lunch and childcare will be provided for all those who attend. Uh, We just need to know that you're coming. So you can sign up again real quick, easy, hanescreek.com slash discover, hanescreek.com slash discover. Or again, you can let me know. There's a link in your email that we send out each week as well. If you don't get those emails, let me know. I can add you to the list. We just want to make sure you're aware of those things going on. Those are the two big ones that are coming up. If you have any questions about that, please let me know. In church, today we're going to continue on in Philippians. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So last week we ended at verse 11. Today we're going to pick up in verse 12 and go all the way through verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, awesome. If you don't, that's all right. We got the verses right here behind me. We also have Bibles at our table out there. We'd love for you to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please take one as our gift to you. Uh, but let me pray for us and we will, we will jump in. Jesus, thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the gift that this is to to gather as your people before you in worship and adoration and praise of you, Jesus. I pray at your hand a blessing over today, Lord. Would you bless this time as we dig into your word, Lord? Let us hear from you, Jesus. We are here for you, to be with you, to hear from you, Jesus. We don't need my thoughts, my ideas, Lord. We want to hear from you, Jesus. So, so be big today, Lord, as we dig into your word. Lord, would you teach us? Would you, would you use this as a refining time to mold us and shape us into the people you want us to be, Lord? So we, we ask all this in your name. Amen. Okay, so have you ever had a moment in life where you're just kind of like, man, I feel like I've kind of arrived. Like, I feel like I've made it. Maybe it's a, it's a personal goal that you achieved or a goal with your family or a career. We just have these kind of benchmark moments that we work so hard to get. And when we're finally there, it's like, oh, man, 
this is awesome, right? I remember a few times in my life this has happened. One, the, one of the big ones was when I turned 16 and got my driver's license. Man, I felt like I was at the top of the world at that. Man, I, I was independent for the most part, a little bit. And I was, I was a good kid for the most part. So my parents kind of gave me a little bit of a longer leash with that. So, I mean, when I got my license, I was like, I can just drive anywhere. I was the only one in my friend group that had their license. So we'd all pile in my car. It was this 1996 Mazda 626. Had like 250-something thousand miles on it when I bought it. It was a stick shift, too. I don't know why they made these these four-door sedans with with a stick shift at that time, but they did, and, and that's how I learned, and that was awesome. That was really cool, and uh, so, man, I remember, like, getting my license, like, this is, like, I've, I've arrived. This is this is a huge benchmark in my life, or I remember, too, uh, so I stayed home for college. I didn't go off to college because as soon as I graduated, I started working at my dad's church. He planted a church when I was a senior in high school, so right away, man, I started working for him and got my start in ministry, and then uh, I, I and a year into that, I went back to the church that he planned out of, and I started working with them, running their middle school department. So I stayed home for college. So I was, I was living at the house, commuting to college, a local college where I was living in South Florida. But I remember, man, when I finally got uh, enough money saved up to, to move out of my parents' house and into my own apartment with a roommate, that was like, man, I, I'm officially into adulthood right now, right? Like you just, yeah, I felt like I made it, man. I remember uh, other moments like buying our first house, man. The first time we bought a house, uh, you signing all that paper, I mean, it's like this thick of paperwork that you're signing. And it was just kind of overwhelming, like, I'm signing my life away right now. Like, this is a little exciting, but also terrifying at the same moment. And then you do that and you complain, and you just feel this like, oh man. And now like, we just did our third house this summer. And it's like, after here, here, just take all my money, take my life. It's fine, whatever it is, what it is, right? Like, it doesn't seem as big of a deal. But that first one was like, oh, this is, man, I'm really like, I'm making it here. So we have these moments, these benchmark moments in life. You know, maybe it's when you got married or had kids or, or got that first big promotion or started your own business, whatever it may be we have these moments where we feel like we've made it, right? Like we, we, we've attained this, this goal, this benchmark of life to kind of just sit back and go, oh man, this is nice. This is exciting. This is good, right? So in our passage today, Paul takes that feeling, that mindset, and he kind of relates it to our relationship with Jesus. So last week, if you were with us, we, we saw in verse 10 that Paul clearly states his goal in life is to know Jesus. And we talked about how that's not a, that's not a surface level knowledge that he's talking about here. That, that's a deep personal, intimate relationship with Jesus that, that, yes, in some sense, Paul already has, but he wants more, right? He wants to grow deeper in his relationship with Jesus. And he talks about what that looks like is this idea of living in resurrection power, sharing in his sufferings, being conformed to Jesus in his life and death, and looking ahead and forward to that full and final resurrection. So that's what we looked at last week in verses 10 and 11. And today, Paul's going to build off of that idea in verse 12. And what he's going to do is he's going to take these kind of big ideas that he's been hitting on and bring some more practical day-by-day wisdom into that. And Paul's been hitting on some big topics here in Philippians chapter 3. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, man, I, I've studied through Philippians, I, I've walked through Philippians several times, but I've never really like camped out in chapter 3 as much as I have been. And I'll be honest, like it is quickly becoming one of my more favorite chapters in all of the New Testament. There's just so much depth and good stuff here in Philippians chapter 3. I mean, right away, he, he starts out reminding us to have our joy in Christ and this big idea that he's been repeating over and over again 
in Philippians. And he talks about being aware of false teaching and how that can lead us astray. And then he gets in this big idea of what it means to be the people of God. And then he spends time talking about this idea of justification and righteousness and how we're so led astray by our own self-righteousness, our own uh, ability to do good works and earn things from God. And he's like, man, all that stuff that you can accomplish on your own is nothing compared to justification and righteousness in Christ. And that's a, that's a huge concept. And then last week he talked about this big idea of knowing God, of uh, knowing Jesus, having this relationship, this deep, intimate, personal, growing relationship with Jesus. I mean, these are big concepts. And now he's going to start to like boil that down into here's what it looks like to do this on a practical level. So let, let, let's read here. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, it says this. It says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Okay, so here in verse 12, he restates his goal. Again, this, this goal that he's been talking about is, is to know Jesus, is to have this deep, personal, growing, intimate relationship with Jesus. And then he refers to those who are reaching towards that goal in verse 15. He refers to, to those and himself as, as mature. Th those are mature believers. And, and that's, that's really what he's getting at here, right? Paul has said his goal is to do this, and he calls us as believers to have the same goal. If we have put our faith in Jesus, our goal and Paul's goal should be the same. So his, his word for us today is, is here's what it looks like to grow in maturity as a believer. Here's what it looks like to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. So last week, kind of, you know, big picture, big ideas. Here's what knowing Christ looks like. Here's what your life should kind of look like. And then here practically, here's what you do each day in order to work towards this goal, to grow in our relationship with Jesus, to grow in maturity. And again, that, that should be our goal as believers. We should want to deepen our relationship. We should want to become more mature followers of Jesus. So here in this passage, Paul gives us five marks of maturity, five marks of what it looks like to be a mature Christian, a, a believer who is growing each and every day in their relationship with Jesus, which again should be our goal if we have trusted in Jesus, right? All right so five marks of maturity. The first one, if you're taking notes, first one is this. The first mark of maturity is to know that you're not perfect. Know you're not perfect. Know that you're not perfect. Look again at verse 12. Verse 12, Paul starts out saying, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. So that's the first thing that he mentions about what, what maturity in Christ looks like, is knowing that you have not yet reached your goal. So, so Paul, again, is referencing the goal of knowing Jesus, and he makes it clear that, that Paul has not arrived, has not reached that goal yet. 
This is what we talked about last week, right? Paul is not satisfied with his relationship with Jesus. I mean, again, this is, this is Paul we're talking about, the guy who wrote more than half of the New Testament, the guy who planted dozens and dozens of churches, who went to dozens of places where, where the gospel had not yet been preached, and he brings the gospel there. Like, this is Paul we're talking about. And he says last week that he wants to know more, that he wants to grow more in his relationship, and now he's saying, man, I haven't arrived. And if anybody could say that they've arrived, I mean, Paul's right up there at the top of the list, right? Like, he's, again, done all of these incredible things in the name of Jesus. And, and, and now he's arrested. He's on house arrest. He's just chilling in a house in Rome attached to a guard. Man, if anybody could just be like, dude, I'm, I'm good. All right, I've done a lot. I've done enough. I'm just going to kind of coast. Like, Paul could say that, and we'd be like, yeah, I get it. I get it, Paul. You do you, man. Like, you, thank you for all that you've done, man. It's time for you just to chill and ride off into the sunset. It's all good, man. You, you enjoy your retirement in Christ. Like, anybody could say that, it'd be Paul. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Not yet there. Haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect. And, and that, that word that he uses for perfect is the, is the very similar word to what we see translated as mature in verse 15. So again, Paul is saying that, that, man, we're striving towards maturity. We're striving towards this deep relationship with Jesus. And Paul, the apostle Paul, is saying he's not there yet, and he's not yet mature. So if Paul can say those words, how, how much more can we say those things? How much more can we recognize and admit that we're not yet there? We're not perfect. We still have more maturing to do. We are not perfect. And, and again, you, you might be thinking, like, Travis, uh, obviously, right? Thank you for that. For that. That's, a, that's a great basic point. Can we move on now to the next thing? Like, I know, I know we, we would all agree very quickly that we're not perfect, but, but it's important for us in our relationship with Jesus to keep that in front of us, to remember that very truth. And this is why Paul is saying it, because it's important for us to remember. Knowing we're not perfect, one, helps us avoid spiritual complacency, right? This is what we talked about last week. It's so tempting for us just to kind of get to a certain point in our relationship with Jesus, just kind of like, I'm good. I'm good. I don't, I don't need any more. I don't need to grow anymore. I don't need to learn anymore. Like, I, I know a bunch. Travis, you may be saying you haven't taught, thought much about Philippians chapter 3. Well, dude, I memorized that, you know, 13 years ago, four, whatever. Like, we, we could easily get to this point where we're like, you know what? I, I'm good. But realizing that we're not yet there, that we're not yet done maturing, keeps us from that spiritual complacency. Knowing we're not perfect also helps us avoid falling back into the trap of self-righteousness. And this is what Paul was saying in the previous verses in chapter 3 here, that man, it's so easy for us to rely on our own strength, rely on our own good works to be good with God, right? Even, even believers in the room, and we can be so prone to just relying on our own strength, relying on our own ability, looking to ourselves to follow God. And when that happens, what we do is we turn this relationship with Jesus that Paul's trying to get us to, and we just turn it into this religious checklist, right? Oh, I attended church today. Boom, I'm good. Oh, read my Bible this week. Boom, I'm good. Oh, spent some time in prayer. Boom, I'm good. I'll oh, listen to worship music instead of that devil music. Boom, I'm good. You know, like, we just turn these things into a, a religious checklist, and, and it just, it, it, one, it puffs us up with pride, and two, it just teaches us to rely on ourselves instead of Jesus. But remembering that I'm not yet perfect, that I'm not yet mature, that I have not yet reached that goal, that there's more to grow, keeps us relying on Jesus. Knowing that we're not perfect also helps us avoid 
judgmentalism and spiritual comparison. Look, we're, we're, again, this is something that we're so prone to as people is, is comparing. You know, where, where do I kind of sit? And, and we kind of can rank ourselves spiritually. Like, oh, well, I'm, I'm further along than that person over there. Oh, I know more than that person over there. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at least good from that standpoint. Maybe I'm not as good as this person, but, you know, I'm, I'm not as bad as some of these other people. Like, we, we can get into this comparison game and can start to judge like, oh, well, I've been a believer for just as long as they have, and look how much further I am. Look how much more things I know. Oh, you don't even know those theological terms. <laughs> let, me, let me teach you, right? Like, we can get so in that mindset. And we can even bring that in, into judging non-believers, right? Like, we can look at, oh, man, look at these horrible non-believers and all the bad and wicked things they do. But remembering that we're not perfect reminds us of who we are in Christ. And I love how Charles Spurgeon puts this. He says that, that believers are really just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. We are all poor, imperfect, broken sinners in need of a perfect Savior. And knowing that we're not perfect, knowing that, man, we were just as sinful as anybody else out there, and yet Jesus saved us with his grace, helps us not judge other people helps us see them as who they are, made in the image of God, imperfect, yes, but, but loved by God and, and wanting and needing to be pointed to his saving grace, right? So that's why we remember and remind ourselves, yes, this is a basic truth, but it's important to know and remember we are not perfect. So because we're not perfect, it means that we should be quick to confess our sin Admit when we mess up and, and seek forgiveness, right? We, we should be the first in line to admit when we fail because we're not perfect. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to mess up. So when that happens, we should be quick to go, yep, sorry, my bad. Messed up there. Sorry about that. What can I do to repair? It should, be, it should lead us to be quick to recognize when we stumble and fall. Knowing that we're not perfect should also cause us to be quick to forgive and offer grace, but let's, let's be honest, let's be real. When we mess up, man, we want all the grace we can get, right? We want all the grace. Man, it's hard. I didn't mean that. Please, you know, just forgive me. Forgive me. I, like, I'll do better next time. Just give me, give me grace. Give me grace. Give me grace. And then when somebody else messes up with us, we're, you know, we're the first to be like, oh, how dare you? How dare you? We want all the grace, and yet we, we can struggle to extend that same level of grace that we want. But remembering that we're not perfect, that we had to be saved by Jesus's grace should help us be quick to extend forgiveness and grace towards others when they mess up. Knowing that we're not perfect should also lead us to be quick to invite accountability into our lives. We're not perfect, man. We're going to mess up. And here's the thing about sin. It is so deceptive. It can deceive us into thinking that we're good when we're not. We all have these spiritual sin blind spots in our lives, and we need people that we trust and we love to speak into that. And yes, that's hard. Is that fun? No, of course not. Do we want to get defensive every time that happens? Yes. But it's good for us because what? we're not perfect. We're not perfect. God still has work in our lives that he wants to do, and sometimes we need help to see those areas. So knowing we're not perfect should help us invite people speaking into our lives, invite that accountability into our lives. We're not perfect church, and we need to remember that. When we look at the Gospels, we can see very clearly that Jesus reserves his harshest words 
for those religious people who thought they were perfect, who thought they were good and had no need of Jesus. That should teach us something, right? I mean, we read this passage a few weeks ago at Luke 18 where the, the tax collector is beating his chest and you got the Pharisee going, thank you, God, that I'm not like that horrible sinner. And Jesus says it was the tax collector who humbled himself before God that went away righteous and justified, not the religious person who thought he had his life altogether. We need to remember that we are not perfect. We are an imperfect church made up of imperfect people, all by the hand of our perfect Savior. That's important for us to remember, church. All right, number two, the second thing Paul tells us about what it looks like to mature and, and grow and deepen our relationship with him and work towards that goal of knowing him is this, pursue Jesus. This is the second thing that we see here. We are to pursue Jesus. A mark of being a mature believer in Christ is one who pursues Jesus each and every day, every moment of their life. They are living to pursue and give their everything to Jesus. And look, so Paul recognizes that, that he hasn't yet achieved that goal, but that does not cause despair in Paul's life. He doesn't sit there and go, man, I haven't reached the goal. I'm not yet mature. I'm not yet perfect. And pff, well, doesn't really matter. Whatever. I'll just keep doing my thing. I'll just keep living my life, whatever. I mean, all that, all that following Jesus has got me is, is landing me in prison, landing me uh, fighting for my life here for no reason, led me to be stoned and beaten and tossed in jail and shipwrecked and all these crazy things that have happened in life. Like, Paul could easily just be back and be like, it's not worth it. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But that's not Paul's mindset. He doesn't give up. He doesn't stop striving towards Jesus, his goal. Look at the language that he uses here in, in verse 12. It says, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. Makes every effort to take hold of it. And then if you jump down to verse 14, he says, I pursue, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. That, that phrase, make every effort, and that phrase, I pursue, same exact word. Same exact word in the original language, and it means to move rapidly and decisively towards a goal. It, it carries this idea of this just single-minded focus and pursuit. Like, you can't think about anything else, can't do anything else. Man, I am, I'm going 110% after this one specific thing. That's the language that Paul uses to describe our relationship with Jesus. That's what our pursuit of Jesus should look like. It's the single-minded effort and pursuit giving everything towards that goal. And Paul tells us what that's supposed to look like every day with these other words that he uses. So let's go back to verse 12 where he says, I make every effort to what? To take hold of it. To take hold of Jesus. That word for take hold means to seize, often with great effort. That's how Paul views his relationship with Jesus, man. He wants to seize him. He wants to grab hold of him, hold tight with everything he's got, and not let go no matter what happens. That's what it means to pursue Jesus. You go hard after Jesus. You grab hold of him no matter what. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising 
the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's very similar language being used here. What does the Christian life look like? It looks like it means fixing our eyes on Jesus. It means grabbing hold of him with everything we've got and not letting go. Pursuing him. And Paul continues with this language. Look at verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Again, he's not yet taken hold of this goal. He's not yet fully taken hold of Christ like he wants to. He knows there's more. He says this, but one thing I do. But one thing I do. Again, we see the single-minded pursuit of Paul. And he is living and giving everything for Jesus. Jesus is not just one thing that he does, one thing that he has. It is everything for Paul. That's what it looks like to follow him. That's what it looks like to live for him. What's the one thing we do? Jesus. And if somebody were to look at my life, is that what they would say? Would they say, man, Travis, yeah, sure, he talks about other things, but man, there, there's one thing that that dude is about, and it is about Jesus. It's almost crazy, weird how much he talks about Jesus, weird how much he lives. Like, yeah, that's, that's all he does, all he talks about, that's all he wants to do. Like, is that how our lives would be described? And Jesus echoes this in, in Matthew 6, where he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. And then in Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What is our life supposed to look like? We seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God. Give everything for the kingdom of God. We're to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, is that how our lives would be described by somebody looking at it? Would they say, man, Travis, yeah, he, he hungers and thirsts for righteousness. I mean, he, he seeks Jesus above all else. And you might think, well, what about all these other things in life? What about all these other things that I'm supposed to do and supposed to be and all that kind of stuff? Here, 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 I love how uh, this old Scottish pastor, dead long time ago, Robert Murray McShane puts it this way. He said in terms of his pastoring, he would say that, that his church, the people of his church, the one thing they, they needed most was his holiness. They needed his holiness. The best way he could care and pastor his church that God had given him was to grow as close to Jesus as possible, to be as much like Jesus as possible. Y'all, that, that's the same for us. What your family needs most, what your spouse needs most, what your boss needs most, what your church needs most is your holiness, is you being as much like Jesus as possible. You want to be the best parent you can be, the best spouse or employer or whatever it is that you put out there. I mean, you, want, you want to achieve those kind of goals. I mean, it starts with seeking first the kingdom. It starts with hungering after Jesus, after righteousness. That's the one thing that we are to do. And that will affect and permeate every other aspect of our lives. Paul continues here about what it looks like to pursue Jesus. Look again at verse 13. It says this, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what's ahead. The, the language that Paul is using here is the language of a race, a runner in a race. And what runners in a race are supposed to do, are they supposed to look behind them and see what's behind them, or are they to look forward? I see this in my kids sometimes. They're not even running a race, but they'll be walking in the house and they'll look behind as they're walking and then boom, run right into the door. 
Milo did this the other day. She's just looking behind and just boom, right into the door of the cabinet, whatever she's doing this. Like, I'm, I don't know. I'm like, look forward. Why are you looking back? No, we don't walk looking backwards. We, we, we look ahead. And it's the same with a race. We are to look ahead. We don't look behind us. We don't dwell on the past. We look forward. And this is the picture that Paul is painting for our following Jesus. He says that we are to forget the past. Now, Paul's not talking about we just forget everything that's ever happened. We don't ever talk about the past or dwell on the past, right? You know, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it as the saying goes. Like, that, that's true, not just in world history, but in our own lives. It doesn't mean that we just forget everything. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about this, this kind of selective spiritual amnesia where we don't just dwell on and sit in our past spiritual accomplishments. We don't just live in the past in that sense. That's what Paul is getting at here. We forget our past spiritual accomplishments and our past failures so that we can pursue Christ in the present. Now, the reason this is important is, one, and again, it keeps us from complacency. Again, if anybody could kind of rest on what he's already done, it's Paul, right? He could look back at his life and be like, pfft, Man, look, look at all these things that God has done through me, man. Look at all. He's got a long list of accomplishments in the name of Jesus that he could just sit back and rest on and be like, man, I'm good. Look at all that I've done. Man, I don't need to worry about growing more. I'm, you know, like, I'm, I'm good, right? So Paul's saying, like, don't, don't do that. And if Paul is telling us to do that, man, that, that, that should be a good lesson for us, not to dwell on our past, the good things that have happened. It also keeps us from despair. But when, when, when the Lord is working in our lives and leading us to do something, maybe it's a, it's a big decision that you're praying through. Maybe it's a, a big step of faith that the Lord is leading you to, and you're kind of nervous. You're like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know, God. Like, what are you doing? Like, there, there's these moments in life where the Lord's really working and moving and, and leading us. And what does Satan want us to do? He wants us to prevent us from doing that. So, so he comes along and he's like, hey, why would God ask you to do that? I mean, did you forget how often you've failed and you've messed up? Did you forget how many times you sought to do something in the name of the Lord and then just messed everything up? You forget how, you know, how much you upset that person just yesterday and how much of uh, a mean husband or father you were just the other day? Like Satan loves to come in and remind us of all of our past failures, but when we forget what's behind, we don't sit in that. We don't let that shame and that guilt overcome us. We don't dwell on the many things that we've messed up on. So forgetting what was behind keeps us from spiritual despair and allows us to move forward with the work God is doing in our lives. So Paul's saying don't rely on what you've done. Don't be satisfied with the past. Don't dwell on all that you haven't done or haven't gotten right. Instead, focus on what Jesus is doing here and now and what he wants to do in the future. So he says forget what's behind and reach forward to what's ahead. That word for reaching forward, is, is this is the only time in the entire New Testament that it's used. And it, it's this idea of exerting oneself to the uttermost. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Giving everything for Jesus. Everything is given to him. Exerting ourselves to the uttermost, reaching forward to Jesus. That's the picture of living for Jesus, straining and giving all that we have for the sake of Christ. You might think, man, Travis, that's a lot of sacrifice. That's a lot of sacrifice. But look, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, like we're, we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're not, so much, we're, we're used to sacrifice, right? Like we, we sacrifice all the time. You sacrifice for your spouse. You sacrifice for your kids. You sacrifice 
for your work all, all, all the time. We make all of these sacrifices. You, you sacrifice your time, right? If you want to do certain things or accomplish certain things, you sacrifice. If you're you know, wanting to do some special diet or something like that, you sacrifice food. We make sacrifices all the time. And yet when it comes to following Jesus, it's like we have this limit of how much we're willing to sacrifice. And again, I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's this idea of like, well, if I sacrifice too much, then I'm, then I'm missing out on something. I'm not going to have something that's like really, really good that I really, really want. And we forget that, man, Jesus is the prize. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is what we're after. So when we're after that, when that's our goal, when he is our prize, truly, when he really is the greatest treasure of our lives, then, then making sacrifices is nothing. We realize, man, I'm not giving up anything. I'm not missing out on anything. In fact, I'm gaining what I truly want. And maybe that's the question, right? Maybe these sacrifices or our unwillingness to sacrifice something shows us what we really want. And it's not Jesus. So we forget behind, forget what has already happened, and we reach forward. We give everything for Jesus. So we pursue Jesus. Number three, number three. The third mark of spiritual maturity is this. We are to think like Paul. We are to think like Paul. Let's look at at verse 15. Look at verse 15, what he says here. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. Now, I know this has been a few weeks, and we did it, you know, back in uh, probably November sometime. But if you remember back when we were walking through Philippians chapter 2, we came to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, and Paul writes this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Well, the word that he uses there for the same attitude is the same word that he uses here for things. So what's Paul saying? Paul's reminding us yet again of this important truth of if we want to grow closer to Jesus, if we want to be more like Jesus in our lives, if we want to pursue him and grow in maturity in Jesus, one of the things we're supposed to do is think like him, to have the same mindset as Christ. And that's the same mindset that Paul is demonstrating here the same mindset that he's kind of showing with these personal remarks that he's giving about how he's living his life, about how he views his walk with Jesus. He's telling us, man, this is how to think like Jesus. This is how to have the same attitude of Jesus. So, man, he's going to say this in verse 17, like, imitate me as I'm following Jesus. Like, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, that's, Paul uses that phrase over and over again in his letters. It's the same idea here. If we want to grow in maturity, if we want to be more like Jesus, we've got to think like Jesus. Growing spiritually in him, I mean, it starts in the mind oftentimes, right? It starts in the mind. There's, we talk about this all the time. There's so many things in this world, even good things, that, that want to pull us away from Jesus, that want to distract us from the things of Christ. Well, part of growing in Jesus is saying no to those things and yes to Jesus, sacrificing those things, those desires, those ambitions, and giving it to Jesus. That starts in the mind. That has to be an active choice that we make that says no to these and yes to Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about here. Is That's what he means when he says, think like this. We are to think like Jesus. Think like Paul. Paul's telling his audience, and by extension us today, he's like, I want you guys to agree on these things. This is the big stuff. This is the stuff that matters. I want you to agree on this, do this, think this way, agree with me on these things. Don't try to do something else. Paul knows, again, that we're so easily led astray and distracted. He's like, no, 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 no. This is the way, right? He's the Mandalorian of of this time. Like, this is the way. This is the way. 
Some of y'all got that. I love that. This is the way. He doesn't want us to get pulled away. He doesn't want us to get distracted. He's telling us, man, think like this. This is what it looks like to follow him. And look, Paul, Paul recognizes something that we need to hit on here. And I think it's important that he just kind of throws this out there. It might seem out of place, but I think he's doing it for a reason. He says, verse 15 again, Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. I think that's a little clunky language there. It's kind of confusing in a little bit. But what, what he's recognizing here is that we as believers, even people that, that love Jesus, are pursuing Jesus, are not always going to agree on the finer points of theology and doctrine and what it means to follow Jesus. And we talk about this idea a lot, that there's closed-handed issues, very much these clear black and white issues in Scripture that, like, man, you got to agree on those things. And then there's a whole bunch of open-handed issues that God lets us in wisdom decide on. And he knows, man, Paul knows and Jesus knows that, that those things right there, man, we're, gonna, we're not going to agree on those. That's why there's a million denominations in American evangelicalism, right? Like, you look around, even in this, this area, you could see tons of different churches, tons of different denominations. Why is that? We pretty much agree on the main stuff. It's these other things that we disagree on. So Paul is making a point here, like, I, I know you're not going to agree on everything, but I want you to agree on the big stuff. I want you to agree on Jesus. I want you to agree on these things. And when he says, if you think differently, God's going to reveal it to you, what Paul is doing is he's entrusting the Lord to teach the Philippians that even though you may disagree and have differences of ideas and opinions and convictions on what it looks like to practically follow Jesus each and every day, he's going to trust that the Lord's going to reveal that to them and reveal what, what, what is important, what really does matter, what is closed-handed, and then have unity and those things where we can disagree on and that it's okay to disagree on. So Paul's teaching us a lesson here that we see throughout the New Testament of what it looks like to disagree with other believers and yet still have unity with one another. We should, as mature believers, we should be able to recognize, man, the difference of opinions and convictions that we have and differences that aren't significant and that we can still have unity on. This is the lesson that Paul's teaching us here. So what he's saying here is, man, I, I'm going to trust Jesus to, to show you guys the big stuff, the most important things, and, and to remind you that we as believers, we follow Jesus. We don't follow our opinions, our preferences, or our personal convictions. We follow Jesus and his word. This is what matters. This is what we give our lives to. That's what Paul's telling us here. All right, number, number four, number four, the fourth mark of maturity that he gives us is to keep going. To keep going, it's this idea of spiritual perseverance. Look at, look at verse 16. Verse 16, Paul writes, In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Now, like, you read that. I mean, I read that. I'm like, oh, I'm like what, huh? What, what are you saying here, Paul? What does that even mean? It's kind of a, a weird verse. It's a weird translation. And here's the thing with Paul. Like, he just leaves words out. Like, a lot of times in Paul's writing, he'll leave verbs out. He'll leave direct objects out. Like, he just leaves stuff out. And we, as translators, kind of have to look at that and go, okay, like, what? I think he's talking about, like, we think of this, we, we kind of see the verb here. Like, he just, he, that's why Peter says that Paul's hard to read. Like, that's what you look at Second Peter, Paul's like, yeah, yeah, he's difficult, y'all. He's difficult, but it's good. It's good. He's hard. That's why. Because he just leaves stuff out. And you're like, what are you saying? So this is one of those verses where we're like, what are you saying, Paul? What's going on here? But, but I think even though it's a weird translation, a weird verse, that there is some really good truth here. And what he's essentially telling the Philippians and us today is to keep going. 
to keep following Jesus, to keep learning, to keep growing, to keep moving and pursuing closer to Jesus, to keep trying to grab hold of Jesus with everything that you've got, to not get stagnant, to not get distracted or bogged down. Remember, you're the runner and Jesus is the prize. He's the goal. He's the finish line. Keep your eyes on him. That's what Paul's telling us here. And again, he he knows that it's so easy to get distracted and led astray in our faith. And we see this, again, all throughout the New Testament, this idea of persevering in the faith when difficult times come. Hebrews uh, chapter 3. And Hebrews was written to an audience that was facing intense persecution at the time of its writing. And the author of Hebrews writes this to his audience. He says, verse 12, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end of the reality that we had at the start. So what he's telling us here is if you want to follow Jesus in this life with all the many things that pull us away and distract us and lead us astray, man, we've got to persevere. We have to keep going. We have to hold firmly to Jesus. And Paul tells us how to do this here in verse 16. So he writes that we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. That, that phrase for live up to, it could be translated in different ways, maybe hold fast or hold true depending on what translation you have. But, but what that word literally means is to be drawn up in a line. To be drawn up in a line. And it was originally used in a military sense where you have this standard as, as in being in the military, you have to follow this standard, right? There's a strict dress code. There's a strict way that you have to, uh, you know, organize your day and your things. There's a strict way that you even have to line up in your ranks and, and march in a specific way and in a specific order. So it was originally used as a military term. And Paul here is telling us, man, you want to persevere in the faith, you hold the line. You hold to the standard. And what's our standard? It's Jesus and his word. That's the line. Jesus is the line that we hold to. Jesus is the one that we follow, that we order our lives around. It's Jesus. We follow him and we follow his word. Everything that comes in to distract us and pull us away, man, we say no to that and we, we stay in line. We keep in line. We keep following Jesus. Paul says something very similar in Galatians 5, verse 25. He says, if we live by the Spirit, essentially if we we are a believer and we are following Jesus, if we're living for Jesus, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That phrase, keep in step, same exact word that Paul uses here. Same exact word. What does it look like to follow Jesus? We keep in step with him. We keep in line with him. We hold to his standard and nothing else, right? We, we keep following him. We stay with him. We persevere no matter what comes. And then lastly, the last mark of maturity that Paul gives us is, is this, to be motivated by Jesus. The last mark of maturity is if we're going to live this way, if we're going to reach towards the goal that we are supposed to have to know Jesus deeper, to grow with him more and more, to become that, that mature believer that Paul's talking about here, in order to do that, we have to be motivated by Jesus and the gospel. That's the only way we're going to continue, y'all. That's the only way. We can motivate ourselves. We can live in our own strength up to a point. And then we're going to get tired. 
or we're going to get frustrated or we're going to get filled with pride because we think we're just awesome. There's all these other pitfalls that happen if we do that, if we are motivated by our own abilities, our own strength, our own desires, those kind of things. Like Paul wants to prevent that. He doesn't want us to live in our strength. He, he wants to remind us that I mean, we, we don't live to pursue our own goals, our own ambitions. Right? All throughout Philippians, Paul is telling us over and over again, calling us over and over again to live lives fully devoted to Jesus. Living for Jesus, giving him everything. Living all fully, completely sold out to him. And here he tells us, man, keep going. Pursue Jesus. Hold on to him. Change your mind if you have to to match that of Jesus. Do whatever it takes. So the question, church, becomes, why? Why do we live this way? Why do we do this? That's where we're going to tap into what's motivating us. Why do we live this way? Why do we give all for Jesus? Why do we make the sacrifices that we're called to make? Why give it all for Jesus? We're to live this way. We're to give all to Jesus. We're to pursue Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of what he's done for us. The, the gospel should motivate us to live for him and give him everything each and every day of our lives. Look, look at verse 12. There's some things that we skipped over here that I was saving for the end. Look at verse 12 again. He says, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because, and here's the why. Why is Paul doing this? Why is he pursuing Jesus? Why is he giving every effort? Because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He's been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And again, that's the same word when he says, not that I have taken hold of it, it's because Jesus has taken hold of me. Remember what that word means? To seize with great effort. Why does Paul live for Jesus? Because he's been seized by him. Because Jesus gave his life for him. Jesus seizes us, right? He grabs us out of our sin. He grabs us out of the pit of death, out of the muck and mire, out of despair, and he gives us life. He gives us new life in him. He gives us eternal righteousness in him. He gives us freedom and redemption and forgiveness and salvation, church. He gives all of that to us. He did all of that for us, and our response to him should be to give all of us to him. We live for him. We pursue him because of what he's done for us, because of the gospel, church. And, and look, look at verse 14. Paul reiterates this again. He says, I pursue. Remember, he's pursuing Jesus. He's giving all that he has for Jesus. He pursues as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. That phrase, the heavenly call in Christ Jesus, is referring to our salvation. The call of Christ in our lives is to save us, is to come to him in faith for salvation. He calls us to him, and in our salvation, he gives us this promise that Paul talks about, right? The promise of that full and final resurrection that he mentioned in verse 11. 
He gives us the promise of eternal life. He gives us the promise of the perfected, glorified body to be lived out in complete perfection with Jesus for all of eternity. That's the promise. He promises us that that death and brokenness and suffering and sin and evil and Satan do not have the last word. And that promise, that heavenly call in Christ Jesus, that's what motivates us to live for him in the here and now. That's what spurs us on to live for him. The gospel is what gives us that motivation to not waste a single second on our life of things that don't matter. On trivial things, on on sin that only seeks to destroy and lead us astray from Christ. Gives us the motivation to give all to Jesus. So we don't live for Jesus out of some religious obligation trying to earn that, that you know, Christian gold star that we think we can get from Jesus, that, that little pat on the back to keep going. We don't do this out of religious obligation. We don't want to try to earn love and approval and forgiveness from Jesus. We already have all of that promised to us and guaranteed to us in Christ. We don't, we don't try to stand on our own good works, our own ability on the day of judgment. No, we live for Jesus because he gave his life for ours because he saves us, because he called us to him. There's a a British theologian, pastor, you know, lived in the 1800s named J.C. Ryle, and he he wrote this incredible book called Holiness. If you've never read it, I would highly recommend it. And he he tells this story. um, Well, I lost my mark, y'all. That's disappointing. I was going to read it to you, but I'll just tell you what it says. Uh, he tells this story of a British man, the non-believer, that travels to America, and he meets this Native American who had put his faith in Jesus and, and talked much about Jesus and talked about giving his life to Jesus. So this non-believer looks at this Native American who didn't grow up in the church, didn't grow up hearing about Jesus, and he says, why do you give so much to Jesus? What has Jesus ever done for you that leads you to live this way? And the Native American man doesn't answer him right away. Instead, he gathers some moss and some straw and some twigs, and he he puts a circle on the ground. And then he digs up this worm, and he puts the worm in the middle of that circle of moss, and then he lights that moss on fire. And he sits and watches as the fire begins to creep closer and closer to the worm. And the worm is writhing almost in agony. And finally, after a few moments, the worm just kind of curls up and just kind of gives up on life, knowing that the end is near. And in that moment, the Native American man snatches that worm up and holds him close to his chest. And he looks at that British man and he says, I give all to Jesus because I was that worm. And Jesus snatched me out of the fire, snatched me out of my sin, snatched me out of darkness and despair and holds me close to him. That's why I give everything to Jesus. That's why I make much of him. Church, just like that man reminds us, we are that worm. We have been saved. We have been given forgiveness and salvation and new life in Christ. And we should let that truth of what Jesus has done for us, we should let the gospel motivate us to live for him, to give everything to him because he's worth it. So church, let us pursue him. 
Let us live our lives fully devoted to Jesus, giving him everything because he gave everything for us. Let me pray for us. And and as we pray, we're going to move into this time of worship and communion like we do every single Sunday church. Every single week we have this moment where we just, as believers, we pause, we remember, we reflect, and we celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done for us, this very gospel that we've been talking about. So believer in the room, I want to encourage you, as, as I pray, I want to encourage you to just spend some time in prayer on your own. Maybe the Lord's brought to mind these areas of your life where you've been holding back, where you haven't been living for him, where you haven't been pursuing him. And it's time to just sit and go, Jesus, take what's left, Lord. Take it all because you're worth it and I want to live for you. Maybe he's brought some sin to mind that we need to repent of and, and, and in those moments, church, we, we remember the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And he's not surprised by the fact that we're not perfect. He's not surprised by the fact that we still mess up and struggle and fail in many ways and yet he still loves us and gives us his grace and unending mercy. So we remember that, we dwell on that, and we repent and, and come back in him, right? We get back in line with him. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, that this time isn't for you, but, but that gospel call goes out to all of us. The Lord loves you, and he gave his life for you, and he says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what that means is just to turn to him in trust and repentance and faith, saying, Jesus, I, I, I trust in you for my salvation and not myself, not my own good works, not my own ability, not my own righteousness. I'm done living for myself, for the ways of this world. I want to live for you. And we put our faith in Jesus, and, and in that moment, we're like that worm that gets snatched out of the fire, out of judgment and wrath. Let me pray for us, church. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your gospel. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much. As Romans 5.8 says, that, that while we were still sinners, you died for us, Lord. Lord, forgive me when I forget the weight of that. When I forget the, the beauty and the goodness of that truth, Lord. Forgive me when I think that there's other things in this life that can bring me what you alone can provide, Lord. Forgive me when I stray away, when I chase after the many things of this world, Lord. Lord, bring me back in line with you, back in line with your spirit, Lord. Help help us forget what's behind and reach forward for you, Lord, and, and live fully for you, Jesus. We love you and we ask all of this in your name.